Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. Good morning, Oak Hill family. Glad that you could join us online. And I want to thank Karen Keithley uh, for playing that uh, hymn on the piano today. Uh, that's one of my favorite all-time hymns. And it's really a unique song. It's unique for at least two reasons. Uh, one, uh, this song was written by an, an anonymous author. We don't even know who wrote the song. Only God and the author know who wrote the song. So that makes it unique. And secondly, this, this song is unique in the sense that typically we sing songs to God or about God. But this song, God, is actually talking to us. So let me show you in one of the, the verses, it says this, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And so we see that God is actually speaking to us about these fiery trials that come into our lives. And he's saying that there's a path that I'm making through all these trials. And I'm sufficient to help you as you walk through these trials. My grace will be there for you. And I'm designing these trials for your good, that you would be refined like gold. And so God is the one who's speaking to us, and, and this hymn actually draws from the text we're going to look at today in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. And so before we get there, uh, I just want to encourage you, uh, thank you for carving out this time uh, in your week uh, to make this a rhythm in uh, your life and perhaps your family who's joining with you right now in your home. Uh, thank you for doing that. And I just want to challenge you with another rhythm, another habit, another discipline for you to get into, and that is this, uh, for you to bring a Bible with you uh, every time we gather together on Sunday. You know, it's a, it's a sweet thing to consider the fact that, that we're with one another in spirit, you know, no matter where you are, uh, worshiping across Humboldt, uh, Dakota City, Gilmore City, North Iowa, wherever you are, we're with one another in spirit. And we also want to dig into God's word together and study it. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter for, for 12 more weeks. And so we're going to really dig in and study this book. And I pray it'd be an anchor for us in this unique season. And so right now, I want to encourage you to go and get your Bible. If you want to, you can even pause me. I'm not going to be offended by that. And run and get your Bible, you and your kids, go ahead and do that. All right. Um, I also want to encourage you as we make our way through 1 Peter uh, to feel free to have a pen, pencil in your hand and just underline, circle things. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, uh, get a journal. Uh, make it be your 1 Peter journal. Uh, if you've got kids that are younger, um, maybe train them up to do this, to bring their own Bibles with you on Sunday. If they're too young, uh, get them going on maybe drawing something during the sermon, or if they're even too young for that, just you know, set aside uh, some time for them so you and your spouse can really dig into the Word of God together. So we want to study that. So we look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 6 to 9. We started this series last week called Living Hope, and now we're going to see how that plays out in these fiery trials that we experience in this life. So got a Bible? 1 Peter 1, I'm going to read verses 6 to 9. This is the word of God. 
Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so today, as we look at this text, I want to seek to answer this one big question, and that is this. Why does God bring fiery trials? Why does God bring trials into our lives? And there are various kinds of trials that we experience, including this coronavirus, but why does God, in his sovereignty, bring about these trials? And so we're going to see three different reasons right here in this text that I want to point out for you today. And so the first one is this. Why does God bring fiery trials? He's enlarging our hearts. He's enlarging our hearts uh, through this process. Take a look at verse 6 again with me. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And so Peter begins with this, with this phrase, in this you rejoice. So just circle that, in this, in this. What, what is he talking about, in this? Well, he's pointing back to this living hope that we talked about this past week. And so take a look with me again at verses 3 and 4. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's bursting out in praise. Why? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so this is the reason why we are rejoicing, all right? It's not just that... Easter has come and gone, and so we now move on from rejoicing, and we move on from this hope. No, we have reason to rejoice. Peter is praising God for his great mercy. He's experienced it in his own life. Last week, we talked about this gospel in Iowa of good works. Peter is not sharing a gospel of good works. No, he's praising God for his great mercy that has caused him and us to be born again to be made alive spiritually. We were once spiritually dead, and, and through the Spirit of God, through the gospel being preached to us, we became alive. We could now see the beauty of Christ and the wretchedness of our sin, and we wanted to trust in Christ alone. We're born again to a living hope, so our heart is now springing forth with hope, and that's through the resurrection of Jesus, right? That's a fact. In human history, the greatest, uh, greatest moment ever in human history. And we go back to that, knowing that our faith is rooted in the resurrection. And then he moves on and talks about this inheritance that is ours, right? It's safe and secure. It's guaranteed for us in heaven. We're, we're waiting for the day where, where God's been guarding this, this, these riches for us that are waiting for us in heaven. And he says that is a reason for you to rejoice. In this, you rejoice. You know, there are so many things uh, that we can rejoice in. And we just saw this video of uh, a lot of our uh, church family members. Um, you know, even though this is a tough time, uh, we can also find these little joys in life. 
you know, playing with Legos, uh, just sleeping in, uh, going outside for a walk. These are some little joys that we can hold on to that, that are sweet gifts from God. And yet Peter is saying, we need to remember that there are some massive realities that give us uh, joy in our hearts, that cause us to rejoice and, and enlarge our heart uh, with these, uh, these, these hopes that we have, these, these mercies from God. And so I want to encourage you, as Peter does here, that, that we rejoice. And how do we rejoice? We've got to rehearse these things in our lives. We've got to rehearse what God has done for us in Jesus. So we have hope, and it, it's this massive rejoicing. And yet he goes on to say, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And so it's, it's a strange uh, uh, kind of... Uh, juxtaposition here. He's, he's talking about rejoicing in our living hope and now grieving in the various trials we experience here in this world. And both of those words, if you want to underline rejoice and underline grieving, they're in the present tense, which means they're happening simultaneously together. They're coexisting at the same time. And, and if you remember back a few, uh, few weeks ago, we talked about how uh, the Christian life is a paradox, right? Like we experience uh, sadness and joy. Those two ducks, paradox, a happy duck, sad duck, they can happen at the very same time as we walk through this life. And we've got to make room in our hearts to allow ourselves to grieve when these various trials come our way. Uh, to not try to push them out and try to be super spiritual and say, well, I'm just going to have joy in the midst of these trials. And, and if there's any kind of sadness that comes, then I'm going to push that away and just suppress that and escape from that. No, we've got we've to be real uh, with our emotions and realize uh, these trials bring a lot of grief. And, and as we do that, we have a greater capacity in our hearts uh, to experience this, this deep joy and this honest grief. And that gives us a greater compassion for others as well who are walking through these trials and the, the ability to comfort people who are mourning and grieving because we've allowed ourselves to go there into those places, those broken places in our own soul, in our own hearts in this world. We're not shying away from that. You think about Jesus. You know, he, he lived a life of joy and yet he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief uh, when he was going to the cross, he didn't just say, hey, praise the Lord, I get to go to the cross. No, he, he was saddened in the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, the same word, this word for grieving is a powerful word. It means to be crushed. Uh, Jesus experienced that while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so this is a real and honest type of of emotional experience that we have in this world. We're, we're hoping and rejoicing in, in what Christ has done for us, this great mercy. We've been born again through the resurrection of Christ, and at the same time, we're grieving these trials. Now, what are these various trials he's talking about? We know that the people in Peter's day, uh, they were experiencing persecution for their faith in Christ. And yet, I'm so glad that, that Peter says that there are various trials that grieve us. And so what this word means, if you want to just underline this and, and mark that, the word various means different shades, different shades of suffering that we experience here on this earth. And so I think about even this unique season in our lives right now and how it depends upon your context. Maybe if you're living by yourself, you might be experiencing the, the grief of loneliness. Uh, maybe if you're in the context of a family, 
and parenting your children, you're experiencing the grief of having to deal with kind of what do I do with all the losses uh, my, my children are experiencing. You know, we just got the word that, that school is canceled for the rest of this year. And, and we've got a senior in high school and that is a, that is a big loss uh, for us. And so depending on your context, depending on your personality, um, all of us deal with suffering and deal with trials differently. There are many various kinds of trials and yet we are, we are to grieve in these things while we are hoping in Christ. And so our hearts begin to enlarge. Another way our hearts enlarge in this, if you notice, it says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by these trials. And so what he's trying to say is that not only do we have a greater capacity to experience deep joy and honest grief, in trials, God is teaching us to have a greater longing for eternity and to see this life as such a short, little while. And that's hard. I mean, in the midst of, of these trials, uh, this now seems like forever, not for a little while, right? I mean, it's like kind of when we take a picture, you know, when we're on vacation and, and it's a, and a beautiful scene and we capture the picture, we're just limited by that little frame. And beyond that is, is so much more. It's like this panoramic view that we want everybody to see, but we can't grasp on just a picture. And God's doing the same thing in our lives. Through these trials, there's this small little window of suffering, but it's opening up into an eternity of, of joy in the end. Um, I was reading in my Bible in Psalm 30 this past week where it says, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, I was reminded of my wife, um, many years ago, she kept a blog, and the title of that blog was For a Little While. And here's what she wrote many years ago. She said, I love the book of 1 Peter, Ever since I studied it and memorized it many, many years ago with two good friends from college. Well, I can't quote much of it anymore, but chapter one has always stuck with me, and especially verse six. In this you would greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You might ask, well, why do I love that verse that says I may suffer grief in all kinds of trials? Because it gives me great hope that it will only last a little while. And even if this entire life here on earth is hard, in light of eternity, it will be such a little while. And I need this encouragement, especially in the stage of motherhood. Of course, there are many, many more joys than griefs, but whatever may come, I'm reminded that this journey through motherhood and through life here on earth is so short that I want to enjoy it and persevere through it towards something much greater. And so may this be encouragement to us that God's enlarging our hearts to have a greater capacity for, for deep joy and, and real sadness and a greater longing for eternity and a greater compassion on those who are going through these trials. So first reason, why does God bring these, these fiery trials? He's enlarging our, our hearts. Uh, second reason is this. He's refining. He's refining our faith. Take a look at verse 7 with me. So verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in your Bible, in verse 7, where it says, so that, I want you just to, to circle that, put a box around that. That's an important phrase in Scripture. It signals something, that here's the purpose. It's a purpose clause. It's telling us, here's the reason why these various trials have come upon you. 
So this is at the very heart of what Peter's trying to tell us here. So what he says is, these trials have come so that, the reason why, is that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that though it's tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is that these trials have come your way. This coronavirus has come your way to refine your faith in Jesus, to to be a purifying effect on your faith. He says this is a test, a test. This is not like a test of, of how much you know about God. It's how much you need God, how much you rely upon him for everything, especially in times of great suffering. But notice here uh, this, this phrase, tested genuineness. Put a box around that if you want to. The tested genuineness is actually the main noun in this verse. It's not faith, it's this tested genuineness. And the word in the original language is this, this idea of substance or reality of your faith. And so here's what he's saying. When we walk through suffering, when we experience trials of many kinds, it refines our faith like gold going through fire. And, and, and burning all the, the dross and the things that are unneeded so as to come out of that fire pure and precious and brightly shining. So this refining process, sometimes we think, man, uh, this, this doesn't sound so easy. This is a painful process. Like, is God through suffering, is he trying to get me back for something I did when I was younger? Like, is he trying to pay me back and punish me for my sin? I remember when I went through um, some of this when we had a miscarriage uh, years ago, years ago, and I thought, man, is God trying to get back at me? And I had to remember in scripture that, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1, that all of the punishment went upon the Son of God, so that, so that when, when we go through trials, we're not experiencing his punishment. No, this is not him punishing us in anger. He is purifying us in his love. There's a difference, right? God loves us so much so that he's refining our faith so that when we come out of it, the, the reality would, would still be there, that the core of our faith would, would remain intact. And so he loves us in this way. It's not a punishment. It's a purifying effect. The other thing we think about sometimes in suffering, is this just like random? Is this just like meaningless pain that you're bringing into my life, God? And it's not, it's not random and meaningless. It's actually purposeful and uncomfortable grace that he's bringing into our lives. He says that uh, these trials are coming now for a little while, if necessary, in verse, in verse six. If necessary, that, that means God has deemed it necessary. If I'm going through a trial, it's in his sovereignty that I'm experiencing it. He knows what's best for me as my father. You will see this back in verse one. I alluded to this this past week when we looked at the context of this letter where it says to those who are elect exiles in verse one of chapter one. And that's really our identity uh, all throughout this book. Elect exiles. Now the word elect, I skipped by that last week. The word elect means chosen. Uh, before the foundation of the world, if you're a Christian, God has chosen you and set his love and affection upon you. Had nothing to do uh, with, with your good works. Had everything to do with his great mercy. 
And so we're elect and we're exiles in the sense that this is not our home. We're just passing through. We're aliens right here in this world. And now he uses that as our identity and he gives these modifying phrases in verse 2. So we're elect exiles, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That means that that we uh, have been loved from the foundation of the world and God has a plan for our lives. Later on in, in Romans 8, or remember in Romans 8 it says, in, in verse 29, that we've been conformed, we're, we're foreordained or foreknown from the foundation of this world so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what he's doing in our lives through this suffering. He goes on to say, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit. So not only the Father, but the Spirit is participating in this work of, of making us more and more like Jesus. That's what sanctification means. It's this process whereby we become more and more like Jesus. And then he says, it's not only the Spirit, it's not only the Father, it's also Jesus. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And so so all three members of the Trinity are participating together in this work of of making us more like Jesus through these trials we experience. And I love this phrase for sprinkling with his blood because it reminds us these trials are difficult And we will fail, we will falter, and yet Christ will cover our sin. He is so tender with us as we experience uh, these difficult times. He knows that they're going to be hard. And he has already been punished on the cross for us. He's already um, sprinkled his blood over this sin. And so we can walk in the wonder of his forgiveness. And so... We're tested by fire. We're refined in our faith. And notice what it says here in verse 7. That it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's the result of that refining process. That in the end, when Jesus returns, this revelation of Jesus Christ, this speaks of the, uh, the, the second coming of Christ, his apocalyptic, that's the word in the original language, this revealing of Christ. Like, so one day he's going to come again and we're going to see him in all his glory. He's coming again. And this, this will be a great revealing of who the Son of God really is. And we'll rejoice for that day. But, but notice here, this is something interesting. It's going to result in praise, glory, and honor when he comes again. And that praise, glory, and honor is not, is not for Jesus It's actually coming from Jesus. You know, uh, we will worship him when he comes again. And yet what this text is saying is that Jesus Christ, as you enter in to his presence, when he returns again and you're entering into into his kingdom, you are going to be honored. I think about Peter here, and he lived for the approval of man. Now he's living for the approval of his king and waiting for that day when the the king will embrace him. He will have the approval of Jesus Christ and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Your faith was sustained all the way to the end. You relied on me all the way to the end, and now come into my presence, and you'll be honored right alongside me. And so we see, why does God bring fiery trials? Number one, he's enlarging our hearts. And number two, he's he's refining our faith. And then finally, number three, he's lifting our eyes. He's lifting our eyes. Look at verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so, so listen, listen, this is pretty incredible. He, he just spoke about the revelation of Jesus Christ when we will be able to see him again. And now he says, you can't see him. You're not able to see him right now. And we know that Peter, he had an edge on the, the readers here. He had the advantage that he had seen Christ on earth, right? He saw uh, Christ. He was a witness to his sufferings. It says in 1 Peter 5, 1, he, he, he saw the resurrected Christ. And yet now he's saying this. He is, he's kind of uh, stirring this up in them. He's, he's saying, I want you to lift your eyes because here's the reality. Though you can't see him yet, you will one day when he comes again, though you don't see him now, you love him, don't you? You are going through this time of suffering, and all you can see sometimes is, is your, your gaze is on the ground, and this is hard. He says, I want you to lift your gaze to, to glory and have hope. He will come again. And in the meantime, even though you can't see him, you love him, don't you? I mean, here's the reality. When you go through a tough time, when you go through a hard uh, trial, a fiery trial like this of various kinds, it's amazing that you can still have this affection for Jesus Christ that, that still burns brightly within. And you've got to wonder, like, where does that come from? Well, that comes from a new heart, right? From this living hope that you've been born again and God's done this work in you, that you love him even in the midst of suffering. He goes on to say, though you do not see him now, you believe in him, or you have faith in him, you, you rely upon him, perhaps now more than ever before. I don't know about you, but when I have walked through a, a painful trial, when I'm walking through an experience, and, and that could be something at home, something in ministry, uh, something health-wise, whatever it may be, when I'm going through a trial, it causes me to rely and depend more and more and more on Jesus alone, right? It, it strips away all the other things that I can't rely on, the things that I had security in, and all of a sudden, I have to rely fully on Christ for everything. And that's what he's getting at. You still believe in him. You have faith in him. And then finally he says this, and you're filled with this joy that's inexpressible. And I, like, what is that all about? So in suffering, how can we be rejoicing with this inexpressible joy? How does that even happen? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Uh, the fruit of the, the Holy Spirit is love, joy. That's, that's coming from the Spirit of God deep within our hearts, even through trials, even through suffering, and it's inexpressible. I don't even have words, right? Peter's saying, I, I can't even capture this. I, I can't even articulate the affections that I feel for Jesus through this time of suffering. And I think about this with you and me now. As we, as we pull back on all of this and as we look at all three of the reasons why we experience these trials, I think that what he is up to, what God is up to, is that he's making us more and more like Jesus as we become closer and closer to Jesus in his suffering. You think about this for a minute. Think about this. When, when it seems like all we can see is suffering in front of us and, and Satan is doing his best to get our eyes off of Jesus, how can, 
hope still burn brightly? How can we still have this faith that endures? Well, I think it's because God is drawing us closer and closer and closer and closer to Christ in these various trials. There's a strange kind of fellowship that we experience in suffering that we would never experience otherwise. We're actually being drawn into the story of Jesus, and he doesn't have a better story. So he's drawing us into the story of suffering all the way to glory. And along the way, man, we get a heart like his. Our hearts are enlarged, right? We have this greater capacity to grieve, to to have sorrow, and yet to have real, pure, unadulterated joy just like Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, even though he was grieving the cross, he was filled with joy in the end. So our hearts become more like his. Our faith becomes more like his. Jesus Christ even experienced suffering. It says in Hebrews 5.8, that perfected his faith, which is strange. This, this obedience was perfected in suffering, which is amazing to think that Jesus had to endure these things on our behalf. I mean, he was put into the fires of affliction all the way to the cross where he took the fires of hell upon his shoulders for us. And so we can, we can know that through these sufferings, through these trials, our faith is being refined. We can have a faith like his and we can have eyes like his, right? And Jesus, you think of him on the cross. And one of the things he says while he's dying there on our behalf is he yells out, he yells out to his father, Into your hands, I commit my spirit. I entrust myself fully to you, God. His eyes are are looking up. I entrust my soul to you, oh God. And in suffering, we too have our eyes lifted up, remembering that our Father is with us all the way through to the end. And so in this time of trial, in this fiery trial, we get We get a heart like his, an enlarged heart. We get a faith like his, a refined faith. We get eyes like his that are are looking upward. And we get a joy. We get a joy like his. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What is that joy that was set before him? Well, it it wasn't just being with the Father because he had already been with the Father in all of eternity. What was that joy? I think it was the joy of seeing us forgiven, and to be finally with him in heaven. And so here's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to bring you into the story, to experience the sufferings that he's experienced here on earth, so that one day you can experience the joy that he experiences in glory when we're finally with him forever in heaven. Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you. Seems strange to thank you for the trials we experience in this life. But we know that you have a purpose, a holy purpose for us. You're enlarging our hearts, expanding our hearts to have deep joy and honest grief. You're expanding our hearts to see that this is just a short time compared to the weight of glory and eternity that's coming. And God, you're refining our faith through these various trials we experience here so that this tested genuineness, this substance of our faith coming out of that fire would remain and result in praise and glory and honor to you and that we too would receive that honor one day from you. And Father, we thank you that you're also lifting up our eyes 
to be able to, to see the hope that we have, that you're coming again one day. So even though we can't see you now, we love you and believe in you and we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible until you return again. And so Lord, help us to have your same joy. Jesus, your joy that was set before you to know that one day we'll be reunited with our Savior, with our King. We've moved from suffering all the way to glory and to finally be with you forever and ever. We pray in Christ's name, amen.